0: For me, still being in the military, being a member of the, the Air Force Reserve, uh, sternly serving at Warner Robins Air Force Base and a command uh, slot down there, uh, is, it keeps me attached not only to, to why our country exists and the security uh, that we find in our military and making sure it's strong, but it also allows me an insight in a Congress that is rapidly becoming less and less uh, veteran oriented because most have not served. In fact, the vast majority have never served. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army.
1: Welcome. My name is Alan Roth, president of Secure America Now. Today, we are privileged to have on our podcast Georgia Congressman Doug Collins. Doug is the ranking Republican on the House Judiciary Committee. And he first came to my attention when he led the charge to sanction Congresswoman Ilhan Omar for her anti-Semitic outburst. Congressman Collins, were you surprised that the Democratic leadership in the House chose not to take action against Omar? Uh,
0: Unfortunately, not surprised. It's good to be Lady Allen. Not surprised. Disheartened frustrated, brokenhearted over a system that is bent to the will of, a, of folks who have now chosen to use the congressional platform for anti-Semitic behavior uh, that has never been tolerated before. I think I was more—frankly, I, I was not surprised. I don't think it's the right word. Probably brokenhearted is it just seeing uh, the way it was handled and how uh, they actually handled it with their own uh, uh, caucus members. What do you think the
1: consequences are within the Democratic Party of not taking decisive action against those types of outbursts by one of its members?
0: I think it uh, from the, their party perspective, I think they need to take a real self-look because, uh, you know, Israel is such a, a, a dear friend of the United States and, and anti Semitic behavior, anti Jewish behavior should never be tolerated uh, at all. We've always, uh, you know, here's our, the, the best hope of democracy in the Middle East and a stability force in the Middle East. Uh, my concern is, 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 or well, the thought of be, is if they continue down this path is, you know, Jewish folks who believe, who are part of the Democratic Party, they have to really sit back and answer the question, does my party still reflect or value me? And I think that's uh, going to be something that is going to be coming up in, in election cycles and coming up in uh, debates that we have. It was very disheartening for me, not only the uh, issue that uh, you spoke of with the, on the board, but also we had a bill that we've been working on for, for many years with Congressman Roskam and, and Franklin Nadler and Deutsch and others from the Democratic side on adding language into anti-Semitic language that would could identify it on college campuses and education. And we tried to re-enter that bill last year. Never could get anybody on the Democratic side who had been co-sponsors of this bill in two to three previous Congresses. They would not sign on the bill, citing language problems with the bill. The reality is they just didn't want to – the leadership didn't want them on a the bill that would antagonize, I guess, uh, the folks in their uh, caucus that are turned anti-Semitic. So they wouldn't get on it, so the president himself actually had to do an executive order at the end of last year, I was privileged to be there when he signed it, that dealt with the very essence of our bill in making sure that identification of anti-Semitic speech at, on the college campus can be identified.
1: One of the things that
0: uh, Donald
1: Trump ran on as candidate in 2016 was taking back control of our legal system in the sense of appointing judges who adhere to what is called the strict construction of the Constitution. Um, he, I have seen reports that he has made some substantial headway in that regard. How important an issue do you feel Taking, uh, bringing the Constitution back to being the
0: foundation of our legal system. I think it's probably the most important thing that he's actually done. And if you go back to the election itself, I think it was actually the uh, key uh, concern and promise that he made that actually swung the election uh, for him and solidified his uh, uh, support among the Republican and conservative movements. Because it actually gets back to having judges who actually interpret the law instead of making the law. Look, there's always room for how judges can use the law and, and make sure that it's used to its utmost. But what we have been seeing was a traditional turn from the from the judicial system being the place where laws were interpreted, the laws that were made through Congress, through elected representatives, and signed into law by president, into a place in which the uh, judges were becoming the law makers. And I think this has been a good. Uh, turn back. We've seen over 200 judges uh, appointed, uh, right at 200 judges appointed in the last uh, three years. Two of those are Supreme Court Justices, uh, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Uh, this has been probably the legacy that is the biggest, uh, I think will be the, the known legacy of the Trump administration right now, among all the other great things that are happening is a return to foundational understanding of, of the proper role of jurisprudence. Yesterday,
1: The Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Trump administration on an issue involving migrant protection protocol. You issued a statement praising the Supreme Court's decision. Can you explain to our audience why this was an important decision?
0: Well, it's an important decision because it upholds the fact that, uh, on contrary to what the Democrats have been saying, and contrary to what uh, the media is portraying, what the president is doing is not, without, not outside the law. He's fully uh, able to do what he is doing, and that is put our interests first, in particular of our borders, and to make it where there's a legal procedure for people to get into our country, instead of this uh, process of walking across an open border or walking across uh, a way where the, the border is not protected and then finding legal sanctuary here. I think this is important because it puts an important legal step, And also, frankly, is very protective of those who are trying to get here. We're a very open country. We are very much of a country that, that encourages immigrants uh, to be a part of our society and our economy. What we don't want them doing is sending children and sending uh, family members across a very dangerous trek up through Central America and in through Mexico and in through the border to, uh, many times being taken advantage of by coyotes and others who are are the paid villains in this, uh, to be a part of our our wonderful country. This says that there's going to be a process, they can do it in the countries that they're uh, coming from, and I think that's a much better way to do it. Actually, it's not only looking out for America, but it's also looking out for the immigrant as well, and I think the Trump administration now, again, has had a confirming legal opinion that they're not outside the law, contrary to what Democrats and uh, many in the media would like for people to think.
1: You have, uh, as the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, I wonder if you uh, could comment on a what I would call spreading disease of governments opting out of enforcing the law and in some cases being antagonistic towards federal authorities especially on the immigration issue, Um, our membership, which is over 4 million strong, uh, they react in the most negative way to what is called sanctuary city, sanctuary state, where the government of those localities simply close their eyes to what the law is. What is your reaction to this whole
0: sanctuary movement? Well, it's been – my reaction has been pretty visceral ever since it started, and I've been on the floor, and people can go to uh, our YouTube page or our, our page and actually look at some of my statements and floor speeches that I've gave on this. And the question is, is, is this is simply the old becoming new again. We fought a civil war in our country over this issue of federalism and states' rights, and the question of uh, being able to nullify laws that you just don't like, we, we have determined that that's not in, in, within the power Uh, to do that. And why are we returning to that? And here's the interesting part that I I think is that people need to be aware of, whether it be, you know, a city in New York or California or wherever, where they're trying to do this is, is why just immigration? Why is it your hot button issue is just immigration? And they choose, pick and choose political issue here of immigration to ignore, while at the same time putting many times their own public at risk. Because what i Goes after and the and what we are trying and the customs border folks are are those that have done harm. Those that are being removed from our country are those that are uh, have either come here illegally and had their processes uh, used up. They've used every process they need to and they still can't get in. The, the judge has said they need to go home, or they're here and done something illegally. And those are the ones that bother me the most is that they have been convicted of a crime, they have done something illegally, and yet the local, local uh, or state government will not turn them over to be deported. That is just a blatant uh, abuse of their own people, not just the United States' laws, but of their own people. So we've been very forceful about that and, and saying that, you know, you can't pick and choose uh, what you want to have uh, from the federal government. And... You know, to see that happening is really just a detriment to our Constitution. It's a detriment to our federalist uh, system uh, as we go forward.
1: Uh, this might be uh, a, a positive piece of news for you. In very liberal New York state, the governor of New York uh, has decided to give driver's license to illegal immigrants. And then he won't turn over— the personal information that these people were applying for the driver's license to give the Department of Motor Vehicles. Trump administration moved against New York State and said, if you don't turn this information over to us, we are not going to issue to people in New York uh, certain federal privileges like global entry well there was a poll done in this very liberal state of new york and it showed that a majority of new yorkers which it's overwhelmingly democratic state actually agreed with the trump administration that in fact new york state should be turning that information over to the federal government
0: yes and and that is true and i think holding that uh you know, the carry and stick approach is the very best thing that can happen here. If New York doesn't want to participate, then they don't get the benefits from it. And I think that's the, the part that we miss all the time. I'm a big believer in choice uh, counseling. I was a, a former pastor. I'm still a chaplain in the airport. And I counsel a lot of people, but I do it from a choice perspective. You make choices in your life. Here are the choices that you've made. Here are the consequences of those choices. States are no different. If they choose to do this, then they lose the benefit. Uh, that they would receive, and I think that is a proper way to look at it. Then they have to explain to their voters, they have to explain to the people of New York, why are you sacrificing this for us for a political agenda on this issue? And I think that's something that needs to be pointed out more often.
1: One of the things that has been a, a foundation of Secure America Now is that we focus upon our active military and our veterans and we praise them, and we highlight uh, things that they have done on behalf of the entire country. And I was struck in a very positive way by your participation in the Air Force Reserve. I believe before that you actually served the United States Navy. You are a chaplain. Can you tell us what motivated you and what continues to motivate you to serve our country in that capacity?
0: It's very simple. I come from a background, and and from my home, of my father was a Georgia State Trooper. He uh, lived a life of thirty, and still does public service. But for thirty years, he wore that uniform and went out every day, put himself on the line to protect the citizens of Georgia. And my mom, I watched her. And Dad actually served in the Army National Guard for a while. For me, still being in the military, being a member of the, the Air Force Reserve, uh, sternly serving at Warner Robins Air Force Base and a command uh, slot down there, uh, is, it keeps me attached not only to, to why our country exists and the security uh, that we find in our military and making sure it's strong, but it also allows me an insight in a Congress that is rapidly becoming less and less uh, veteran oriented because most have not served. In fact, the vast majority have never served. Um and just from my perspective it, it gives a different uh it gives me a different look at our needs of our veterans, our needs of our armed services. You know, I also served in Iraq in two thousand eight and two thousand nine. I was there as a, on a deployment with the United States Air Force. So it gives me a perspective that I believe more of us need to have, and that is a, a sense of, of desire to serve and to serve so in our military, which is the tip of the spear against uh the problems that we see in the world and the despots who want to take us out. Well, I want to thank you personally um, for your service, and
1: uh, and uh, I encourage uh, more members of Congress to actually make that type of commitment to the country beyond going to Washington D.C. Uh, one of the things, um, as we speak, that has is consuming our country is the threat of the coronavirus and the president and the administration has taken some very important and decisive action on this health threat to the nation can you share with us your insights and your opinion of the trump administration's actions in the in combating the coronavirus
0: I would love to. I mean, and I think what's being uh, – because, again, of this personal animus, it seems like, from many that they don't like this administration, anything that they do. Let me just give some facts. Here's fact one. When China first reported that they had a new strain of the coronavirus, the CDC, within within a couple of hours, activated its response team, reached out to China, and said, what can we do to help? They alerted the national security team. This was began to be a process that uh, that our folks began to work on from day. One, Not later, but day one. They offered to go to China. They have, have been in constant contact with them. Their teams have been working on this now for, for almost two and a half months when it was first reported at the end of December. Since then, the president took uh, decisive action limiting flights from China, doing the things that needed to be done to make sure that we can control uh, the spread. Since then, they've also, as of even as of late as uh, yesterday, started restricting or beginning to restrict uh, travel from Europe, where we've been widespread outbreak, especially in Italy and other places, making sure that we're, again, doing everything we can to control it. But at the same point, they've also said we need to make sure that we have a, a rapid response. And last week, the Congress and the President signed the over $8 billion in aid that is going to go to not only therapeutics, but also to to take care of those who have the uh, virus, but also toward a vaccine for those later to keep from getting it, but also making sure that our health resources, our public health systems are adequately funded to make sure that we can get through uh, this uh, crisis that we have this one. But the main thing that they've done is make sure that people stay calm. And listening to this podcast and listening to me, here are the main things you need to be aware of. If you're sick, stay stay away from crowds. If you're you're feeling bad with flu-like this, go to the doctor. Get tested so that we know who has it, who doesn't have it, and how to properly react. Wash your hands. Instead of this, you know, for and all this is good stuff, but the old-fashioned, is your, your parents use to soap and water is the best thing for this. And then also, if you're out in public, you know, cover your mouth when you cough. Do those kind of things that are just basic, common sense precautions. The president's taking every level, along with the vice president to make sure that we're protected. And then it's up to our job to also make sure that we're doing what we need to do on a a very personal level as well.
1: Very good advice, Congressman. I'm glad that you spelled it out the way you did, uh, because there are simple things that people can do that will will have a huge impact. And my own impression is, is that people are doing it. Uh, I happen to be in the city of New York at the moment, and I can tell you a lot of people are staying home. A lot of people are not being as sociable as they usually are in terms of being with crowds, et cetera, and that's, and that's good, and, um, and that will help us get through this crisis. On a, on a slightly uh, different track, One of the things that has happened over the years, both Democratic and and Republican administrations agreed and sanctioned allowing China to produce a large portion of
0: our pharmaceuticals. What are your thoughts on that? I think this has provided something that is backed up and reinforced what the president has been doing for the last few years in his dealings with China. He has always dealt with the fact that China uh, seems to get the better of all of our trade bills and, and taking manufacturing and other things away. This is highlighted the fact that the president has been right. And if the pharmaceutical industry, manufacturing industry, uh, when we have so much sourced out of a country such as China, when that country, uh, the supply chain is affected, it affects world economic uh, numbers. Hopefully, after we get through this, we get this thing uh, settled, we get it back. Anymore, It will give our companies and our, our policymakers a, a look at saying, look, we do not need to be so dependent on one country for uh, some of the very things that we need, pharmaceuticals and other things. So I, I think it reinforces what many of us have thought all along. Our dependence on China was was way too much. But also it, it reinforces to me that what the president did through tariffs and other things were actually a good thing uh, to get China to understand that they have to be a more uh, – reliable role player and not just simply for, them, for themselves at the detriment of everybody else.
1: You, given your senior position within the House, were on the front line defending President Trump at the time that the House leadership, Democratic House leadership, decided to move ahead with impeachment. What thoughts would you like to share with our audience on that, what I would
0: call a fiasco that really hurt our nation? Well, it was, to be on the front lines of it, was, it was depressing to see that the, that the dislike and, and, frankly, hatred of this president by the left is so palpable that they can't see anything else, that they only see getting rid of Donald Trump as the way to make their lives better. And then the sad part about it is that Donald Trump has made life better for many, many millions of Americans. Uh, this, And I tell people this all the time. Impeachment did not start with a phone call last year. It did not start with a Mueller report. It started, frankly, with uh, the election night in uh, November of 2016 in Brooklyn when there were tears in Brooklyn because Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate. She didn't know how to run a race. She was not good for America. And America said, we don't want Hillary Clinton. We want Donald Trump. And I think what, from that moment on, they could not believe that Donald Trump had been elected president, and they were trying everything they possibly could, including help with the mainstream media. The Washington Post said that the, almost a few hours after his inauguration, the impeachment begins. That is not the way uh, that we should have our election cycle run, and our uh, frankly, the president should have ever been treated. But having a front-row seat to it, it just shows the tragedy of a political party who is bankrupt of ideas, who wants to move us from a constitutional government to a socialist-style government, um, and that he continues to win. They they don't have—they got even worse last year when they realized they had the power to try and take him out, and they looked at their own bunch of candidates um, and said, we're in trouble. We can't beat him. And I think that's what's driving a lot of it. So impeachment hurt us, but I think at the same point in time, it also reminded us of what the founding fathers had said, that if we're not careful, elections have consequences. And and people using political means uh, to harm the presidency of any president is now not just a thought, it's a reality.
1: Congressman Collins, I want to thank you for taking the time to share with us your very informed insights into a wide range of issues. I want to thank you for your service, both in the military and in the United States Congress, and I want to wish you Godspeed in all
0: your endeavors. Well, I appreciate that. Well, we're continuing on, uh, going to continue to fight in the House, you know, and of course we're also running for Senate down here in Georgia, and uh, we're we're looking forward to taking that same fight uh, over to the Senate. Good luck to
1: you, and anytime you'd like to share thoughts with our audience.
0: Feel free, just give us a holler and we'll put your We'll look forward to that. Well, have a great day. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.